All righty, thank you for that, Martha. Appreciate it. Good morning, folks. Welcome back. All right. You guys all look happy, or some of you look happy. Some of you look really sad this morning. Everybody okay this morning? Uh, yeah. Boy, the stuff you see from up here, th this is a whole different thing than sitting back there looking up here, that's for sure. I know some things about you guys from just looking, trust me. <laughs> Anyhow, um, just to get started, a couple, couple things to just go over here real quick. The um, prayer request and prayer thing, it, it, probably by now everybody knows we have a new procedure for doing those things, right? You fill out a little slip, I think they're out there on the counter if you need something prayed about. We'll turn those things in and then pastor will read those from the pulpit on uh, Wednesday night here, the, the prayer night. It'll, is it going to be on a prayer sheet too? I know I've asked you that about 50 times. It's going to get... Okay, and they last for one month now, right? And then there, unless there's some updates or something along those lines, uh, they'll, they'll come off of there, all right? And then some new ones will be added to it. The, uh, the prayer sheet keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, which is just a demonstration of how much we need to depend on God for things, right? And prayer sheet's not going to go away without God intervening in every one of those matters there. And, and so uh, I know Patty has been reducing the font down to where I'm getting out a monocle to read the stuff now. And, and so there, we just have to have some tempering. I'll never forget Pastor Webster when we first started talking about the, um, about the prayer sheet and everything. He says, you know, you've you got to involve some way to get people off of the prayer sheet. Too, you know, he says we come to find out we've been praying for people that were dead for the last three years, <laughs> which is kind of humorous in and of itself. As long as those people were saved, it's very humorous. If they're not saved, then that's a whole different matter. It should be taken a lot more seriously. So, to that end, we're not going to be doing any prayer requests or anything like that from the on on Sunday school anymore. So, all right, let's see what else. Uh, and he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the title of the class here and everything. And so my next question here for you all is, how did you do with the assignment last week of just talking to somebody, asking some people just some basic questions of, about different things? Did anybody have any story or any witnessing thing uh, that you wanted to talk about? Last week, Gary gave us a little story. Oh, that was it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not a lot of witnessing going on there, right? <laughs> no, just a lot of swearing. Well, I was going to ask you, was there anything that occurred during that that could have caused you to lose your salvation, if you could lose your salvation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay, I, I get it. All right. <laughs> so those of you who don't get that, you'll get it tomorrow, right? Isn't that what that guy we were just listening to said? We, we, have, uh, we had occasion to go to a uh, dinner with a very dear couple of uh, friends that we've known now for, I guess, 30-some 30, 30 years, something like that. Good Christian brother and sister in Christ there. And, and um, uh, he was telling us about he's teaching a class at his home on Sunday evening to about 20 people or mediating the class or moderating it or whatever that word would be. But it's all about apologetics. And, and uh, William Craig Lane, anybody heard of that fella? He's high up on the list for how to uh, properly defend our faith. And, but, but not just with scripture, mostly with scripture, 
but uh, properly defending it to people that don't even want to believe the scripture, that there's all kinds of tangible evidence from a secular standpoint that, uh, that uh, you know, you can defend our faith with. This stuff that we talk about that's in the Bible here is true. There, there's, so you can tell that to somebody and they'll say, well, just prove it to me. And then when you start telling them about the Bible, well, they don't want to believe that that's the truth of it. They want, to, they want you to say, well, there's got to be some scientist or somebody here that did all this. And that's what this guy does. That's what William Craig Lane is all about. But then there's another guy on there named Frank Turek. Have, has anybody ever heard of that guy? Another apologist. And um, we were listening to some stuff that he has uh, put out. There are both of these guys are out on YouTube and you can watch them. Uh, I don't know that they necessarily use the King James Bible, but what they, what they say and how they defend our faith is just absolutely brilliant. The, these people are highly educated in this and they are motivated and uh, consistent at how they uh, spread the gospel, how they share the news to people, and how they, how they back it up with all kinds of different things, including, uh, including secular stuff. Amen. Anyway, it's all good. All right, let's see, so no thing about anybody doing anything last week. I didn't even do anything last week. I, I, I heard a couple of stories last week that, that one of them I'm going to share with you guys here. And, uh, um, but that I don't, other than handed out a few tracks, I didn't really do too much last week. Yes, sir? Oh, good. All right, praise God. Glad to, glad to hear that. Um, so we're getting some movement here. We've we got it at both corners of the church now. <laughs> that's, that's good. Okay, um, so just kind of a, a recap of last week. The last lesson was about asking questions and just how you kind of go about doing that. And we talked about how the... Uh, how uh, Philip in the eunuch in Acts 8, 26 through 40, where that, that whole conversation there and the, the culmination of that was the man getting baptized and, and all this was, was just based on a question. Do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading there and everything? Nope. How can I understand it if somebody doesn't tell me all about it? And so that's the same kind of thing. A lot of, a lot of people can't understand this Bible unless somebody guides them and, and leads them through it. I know in our, in our life we had a lot of guidance and a lot of people explaining things to us as we came to know Christ as our Savior. Uh, we talked about the fact that the questions don't need to be intimidating or intrusive, and, and they've got to be done in loving kindness, too. You can't just browbeat people uh, about this stuff. That will turn people away quicker than, than anything. Uh, we want to be genuinely concerned about people. And I know because I... I I don't know every one of you folks in here on the same level that I know other people in here, but I'm pretty certain that we've got a pretty compassionate crowd of folks in this, in this room. Most people, when you get as old as we are, you, you just compassionate just because you're old. <laughs> and, and, and maybe you don't even know any better or, or something. I mean, we were all, we were raised up in a different generation. This is, it's different than the way kids are raised nowadays. I can tell you stories about my kids and the way they've come up, uh, particularly my youngest too, and, and it's just like, wow, I would have never, ever 
been like that when I was a kid. That was not how I was brought up. We've tried to bring our, our children up under the same standards, but they have, a, they have a different environment that they live in right now, to be sure. And so uh, that's how we want to, that's how we, we don't want to be intrusive or intimidating about it. We don't have to dominate the conversation. We mentioned, we mentioned about that. We want to generally be, genuinely be concerned about people's uh, uh, lives and what they're doing. Um, this, was a, this was a big point here, and I think we discussed it a little bit also. We need to be prepared to listen, not lecture, and not be a speaker in waiting. You have to, you have to put what you're going to say out of your mind when you're talking to folks so that you can listen to what they're trying to tell you about their concerns and, and their shortcomings about these things. We don't want to write God out of the equation from the very start. We, we mentioned this about, about this here. Remember that God is at work ahead of us preparing his fields for the harvest. So if God lines it up that you're having occasion to talk to somebody, all right, he's, he's already done some work there in that field. He's already got the people prepared for maybe what you're going to say. Uh, the reception, how, how that goes, is really not all that dependent on how you go about handling it. It's dependent upon how you bring the gospel to them and how the Holy Spirit handles it. You know, we can be articulate in what we say to somebody, and, and you can even foul it all up. We've t we talked about Tom Rainer, the author of the book, how his first time witnessing to somebody, it was just a disaster. And I know my first time witnessing to somebody, the, the guy that I was there with, my partner, he had to take over the thing because it was going so, so awry, you know? So, so anyway, just let the Holy Spirit do his, uh, do his work. We discussed some tools, uh, you know, that'll help you know what to say. The books were used to do this study lesson, some applications, the internet. We mentioned that on the, on the internet there, you want to be very careful about where you get your advice from and what they're actually trying to lead people to. That's very important that you, I think somebody one time or another, I've used this occasionally where you say, if you're eating watermelon, you better know which seeds to spit out, right? And so if you're looking at things, there, there, there's things there where you have to kind of maybe uh, figure out what's good and what's bad and what you could use and how you could, how you could put it to, to uh, work in what we're trying to accomplish here. We need to commit not to be silent Christians. Ecclesiastes 3.7 talks about that. We talked about a time to speak and a time to be silent. Went over a prayer of commitment to prepare us for speaking up. Um, pray to be concerned about people will spend eternity. Boy, that's, we're, we're dealing with some very, very, uh, delicate matters here, and some long-lasting things. Eternity's a long, long time. Pray for reminders or nudges from the Holy Spirit. If you don't seem like anything's going on, ask the Holy Spirit to look, put it, put it in my head when I should go talk to somebody, or put it in my mind when I should see somebody, or make somebody walk in my path and trip over my foot so that I know to talk to that person. Pray for opportunities to speak. Pray for the right words to fit the situation. And uh, we talked on that about the situational awareness aspect of this thing is uh, uh, you, kind of, you kind of mold yourself, meld yourself into the particular person that you're talking to. You, you can, with, with some practice at this, you can, you can mold yourself into just about any kind of a conversation and point it to the gospel somehow or another. It, it, it happens time and time again. And then here on this one, pray for your own obedience. That's probably the biggest one of the whole thing is that we have to be obedient to what God is, uh, is putting in our hearts here. 
Be like Peter and John. Can't stop talking about Jesus. Remember when they were in front of the Sanhedrin, that's what they said. We're not going to shut up. We can't quit talking about what, uh, what Jesus did and what he said, what we saw while we was with him and all this kind of stuff. Or would that be what we seen? Well, anyway, whatever. I talked about the survey results, how those were encouraging to me, and, uh, and that we have a very honest and consistent class here. I read several verses of scripture from the Bible about sharing the gospel and then shared some thoughts about it. Uh, these things here, witnessing is an integral part of the life of every Christian. It's a way to share the good news of Jesus Christ and spread God's love and mercy to those around us. God's love and mercy to those around us, that's good. Um, by witnessing, we can lead others to a relationship with God, creating a lifelong impact. This is a responsibility that we should take seriously, but also approach with joy and excitement as we share the good news. Let's be faithful witnesses of God's love, grace, and truth, always ready and willing to share the hope that we have in Christ with those around us. You know, if you, if you get somebody that just asks you, you know, what in the world is with you? You're really, you're different than every other person that works in this shop at this grocery store or whatever, you know. You ought to be able to tell them. You ought to be able to come right out and say, let, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he has done in my life. Or, or maybe, like I always do when people ask me these kind of questions that I get me, I say, let me tell you what they've done in, in, in my and my wife's life because we got saved at exactly the same minute, the same time, same day, same church, the whole nine yards. And I'll tell you, it always brings up a, just a wonderful conversation with people. Sometimes it doesn't go to where the person prays to accept Christ as their Savior right there on the spot, but you've planted the seed, and that's all we're responsible for doing is planting the seeds here. Um, so anyway, the, uh, having kind of recapped on all that, here's the title of today's lesson, Those Pesky Objections. You're going to have people are going to object to what you're, what you're telling them, so here's some avenues about how you, would go about, uh, how you would go about handling some of these things, all right? So let's just have a word of prayer here before we, get, before we get started. Father, thank you for the time that you've set aside here for us this morning. Help us to get through the lesson here and that we would have a softened heart and a heart. Uh, mind that would receive what you're what you're uh, telling us here from your word. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So, there's a little little story that starts off in Tom Rainer's book here about how, you know at the beginning of this chapter, and it's a story about his first church consultation that he ever had. It was in 1988. And I've already mentioned to you guys that this is what this guy does for, for his ministry now. He's a pastor, but he also has this, this church answers thing, and they go through and they kind of help out churches. If, if our church was having, uh, like, major difficulties here, um, this guy would come in and he'd hang around for a few weeks, and then he would meet with the pastor and say, hey, you got to do this, and maybe preach a message about this, and maybe here's what I observe here. And it, it, could be, it could be one of a million different things that he can run across. As a matter of fact, he mentions in this same chapter that, that it's always different. Every church is a different thing. But um, this, this particular one here, he didn't even realize he was doing a church consultation. It was a pastor that had come and asked him some questions about some things. And, and he said, yeah, here, let me, let me uh, tell you, you know, give you some suggestions about how to, how to do it. We've all had those things in our life. People come and say, hey, do you know how to fix a refrigerator or something? And, and you say, well, you could try this and this and this. And, but, but you didn't know that, you know, down the road you're going to turn into a refrigerator repairman because a bunch of other people are going to start out. And that's exactly what he said here about this. He says, uh, 
the pastor must have appreciated what he told him because that same year he got all kinds of extra business out of this uh, just from this pastor recommending you need to you need to listen to this Tom Rainer this guy can help you improve your church over there and and to help it move closer to Christ so um, he, he, he ended up talking about that and then here's here's what he says about this he says as I was getting going on this I certainly remembered my, my lack of confidence and uncertainty in what I was doing. So we, and those are two places that, you, that, that I have underlined there, a little fill in the blank things. He certainly remembers his lack of confidence and uncertainty. Well, we probably can remember our lack of confidence and uncertainty when it comes to witnessing to people. Listen, it's, a, it's one of these things that, I guess it's like, it's like diving off of a 25 foot diving board that once you get your confidence up to do it then it's pretty easy to do it after you get out of the first time you've done it and what have you it's the same thing with this witnessing folks you get out there the more you do it the easier it becomes it, it's so second nature to me that i just I, it just it, it's just like breathing or something and it's just because i've done it a lot and i would encourage you folks to to do it a lot also and to get some practice at it anyway he still doesn't have all the answers, he says, but he did notice some things that parallel witnessing to people. And so here, here's what this is, here's what he goes on to talk about here in the book. He noticed that there were certain patterns, conversations that you've heard before, same thing over and over, uh, growth in your confidence and, and preparation, practice makes perfect, is what he, he noticed that would happen as he got into these churches and, and would do... Uh, these consultations with him. And, and so he says, just about every church you go into, at, on some level, every one of the problems is exactly the same. There's a pattern in what makes the, the churches uh, start getting away from God, church splits. I guess at some of the extreme ends of this thing, the churches are just about ready to, to go out of business. You know, They're down to five people being in the church or something, and what do you do if that comes up? Well, we had earlier in some of the lessons there where we talked about the... Uh, the fact that uh, about getting people to do personal evangelism. He says the reason how come they're not doing it is because they haven't been trained in it. And the reason why they're not doing it often is because they're not practicing it. And so it's, it was the same kind of, same kind of thing here. So uh, he says you're, you're going to hear the same objections about this stuff over and over again. And, and as we get into the objections that you hear, you guys will you'll recognize them because they're just... They're just common. You've heard stories about them. You may have even experienced a time or two on your own, and that's why you don't want anything to do with trying to witness to somebody. It can be a little bit uncomfortable, but you know, anything, that, anything that's worth doing is a little bit uncomfortable you know, for the most part. So you're going to hear the same objection over and over again. You might even think that these objections are pesky. And that's the title of the lesson, those pesky objections. You might think they're pesky. Don't take them lightly. You're dealing with somebody's eternal salvation. Well, that's a, big, that's a big responsibility to handle there. And so you don't want to blow somebody off and think like, well, that, you know, whatever. I've heard everybody says that, and it's the same thing over and over and over again. You're dealing with somebody's soul, though, so you probably ought to just sit tight for a second and reconsider that you're dealing with a different individual than the last time you talked to somebody. Um, it may be repetitive, but for the person you're speaking to, it's a very real objection. You must learn to deal with their objection with compassion and grace. Two, two more fill-in-the-blanks, compassion and grace. 
Remember that story in the Bible there where Jesus looks out on the, on the field of people there. There's all these people standing around, and he has compassion on them. He says they, they look like a bunch of sheep without a shepherd, and they're just kind of wandering around. All Man, that's the world we live in right now. There's people just wandering around all over out there trying to find answers in everything secular and not one answer in spiritual matters. You know, there's only one answer, Jesus Christ. That's what the answer for our country is right now. I'm having a conversation with a few men in my hangar this past weekend, and, uh, and uh, we came, all of us, uh, came to the same conclusion. The only thing that's going to save this country of ours right now is a revival. Turning back to the Lord and asking him to heal our land here, that's the only thing that's going to do it. There's not anybody over in that government right now, for sure, <laughs> that's going to help with any of this stuff, or even in state and local governments. It's really pathetic when it comes down to that. We need God to deal with this thing for us. We have to love these people that we're dealing with with the love of Christ. All right. There's another, here's another little story here about the author. He writes this in this same chapter. He, he starts talking about his doctor that he's had for more than 15 years, right? Been going to this same guy. And he refers to this doctor. He says he's a, a younger guy. He's an internist. And he has these brilliant diagnostic things, uh, skills. He can, he can tell you what's wrong with you if you have a... If you have an eyelash, he might tell you it's something wrong with your toe or something like this. I mean, there's doctors around like that. Our family doctor we had up in Cleveland, Ohio, that guy was the most amazing guy. We actually had two different guys. They were the most amazing internists that we've ever run across down here. I've not had a whole lot of luck with the doctors down here in Texas. They seem like they just, yeah, tr take this, do this, without hardly any consideration for what actually might be wrong with you. It's kind of putting Band-Aids on some things that, uh, that aren't, uh, you know, symptoms rather than the problem. Anyway, he talks about how over the years, he's been going to this guy for more than 15 years, um, they become good friends over the years, and, and that their, their doctor appointments would sometimes just turn into conversations about all kinds of different stuff. And then one day, the, the author of the book here asked him this question. He says, you must get tired of hearing the same, like the patients come in and they all have, well, my stomach hurts or I have a headache or my arm hurts or something like that. And his doctor told him this right here. He says, uh, he says uh, uh, the day I don't care deeply about my patients is the day I need to retire. And so... He probably, you know, he might hear about the same thing 30 times a day, except I don't think doctors see that many people a day anymore, but, uh, uh, you know, over and over and over again. And this guy makes a point from a secular standpoint that the day I get tired of hearing that about my patients and I don't care about what they're doing, that's the day I need to quit doing this. Listen, folks, the day that we don't have concern about people's souls and their eternity, that's the day we need to just leave the church and don't bother coming back because there is a responsibility and a command that we witness to people. It's just that simple. I'm not trying to be mean, not trying to point anything out, not trying to do anything. I have my shortcomings when it comes to this, just like everybody. But uh, God does say that we're supposed to be out there spreading the gospel uh, around. And so we kind of ought to feel the same, same way about it. Every patient's complaint, is doctor was still going on to say, every patient's complaint is unique. And then Tom Rayner comes and realizes this. We're, we're dealing with a sickness just like this doctor, but our sickness they refer to as sin. That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people's sins. And the only person that can solve the sin sickness is the great physician himself, Jesus Christ. All right? So we need to tell people about Jesus. We need to point them down that path, and we need to let them know that uh, uh, God is the answer to all their problems. 
It's not, it's not gonna take away all the problems. It's not gonna be the thing that makes life a better roses because it's certainly not that at all. I tell people all the time, you become a Christian, your problems are probably just starting. You think you got problems now, become a Christian and see how, how those, those problems start to pale in comparison maybe sometimes to the, to the criticism that you're gonna get, to the, uh, to the uh, uh, you know, the bashing, the people making fun of you at work, all these kind of things. But you, you have the truth, the truth's on your side, the truth will set you free. Amen. And so that's what, you, that's what you run with there on this thing, all right? So having, um, having just talked about all that this morning, I got my, I opened up my text messaging here in, uh, I got my little thing from the plumber again, the plumber out at Lowe's, Every, I know, Mike, Mike Wilson, everybody knows him now. Luke 5.31, and uh, listen, listen to this. This was just, I mean, I was just studying for this thing dings, my little thing dings, and this comes up on here, so I printed out thought I'd read it to you. Luke 5.31, Jesus answered and said unto them, Those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are well have no need of a physician. Jesus' answer was both simple and profound. Jesus is a physician of the soul, and it makes sense for him to be with those who are sick with sin. And he goes through a bunch of points here. There are many possible reasons why a sick person might refuse services of a doctor. So there's many reasons why a sinful person might refuse services of, of Jesus. Perhaps you don't know you're sick. Yeah, sometimes you don't know you're sick. You don't, you don't even know if you need a doctor or not, or you don't realize it. Perhaps you know you are sick, but you think, well, you'll get better on your own. You don't know that you need to go to the doctor. Boy, a lot of people, a lot of people like that, they, they might know that, man, I've got some things in my life that aren't exactly right. And probably if there is a God, it's probably not very pleasing to him, but I can get through those things on my own. There, there's things that you can't get through on your own, folks. There's story after story after story, testimony after testimony about things that God has brought people out of that when you look at it, it's just miraculous. It's, there, there's no way that anything like that could have happened unless God's hand intervened in it. And even all the doctors and all the people sit around and scratch their heads. What in the world? That guy, like last week, he was about dead of cancer, and now there's not even a trace of cancer in the guy's body. Now, we have personally witnessed that. I might have even told this story, the little boy that we prayed over in our church years and years ago. And it must have been 20-some years, or uh, probably at least 18 or 19, because he is the same age as Chris, that little boy. Cystic fibrosis. They figured that kid was going to be dead in a matter of months. We all prayed over that kid, asked the Lord to heal him up and everything. It was a miraculous healing. Three weeks later, there wasn't a trace of that. That kid's the same age as my son and healthy and doing all kinds of cool stuff up there in Cleveland now. So... Anyway, you might get better on your own. Perhaps you know you're sick and you know any, you, perhaps you know you are sick and know you need a doctor, but do not know there is a doctor to help you. Maybe nobody's told anybody about Jesus. There's the doctor that you need to know to help you. Perhaps you know you are sick and know you need a doctor and know there is a doctor, but do not know the doctor can help you. You know all about these things. You know, Jesus, you know that, man, I've heard some people talk about this and everything, but I'm not so certain that that doctor can help me. Man, I've got some real troubles here. That doctor may not be able to do anything. Jesus can fix anything. Perhaps you know you're sick and know you need a doctor and know there is a doctor and know that the doctor can help you, but you do not know the doctor wants to help you. 
Yeah, Jesus wants to help. He wants to be out here and he wants to be involved in our lives. And when you have troubles, he wants to be involved with it. He wants to know everything. Incidentally, he already does know all, everything about it. Anyhow, before we even say anything, he knows what we need and what we're doing before you ever ask is what the Bible says about that, right? And so, uh, but somebody's got to tell other people about that. Yeah, there's a doctor that can help you and he really does want to help. Perhaps you know you are sick and know you need a doctor, and know there is a doctor, and know the doctor can help you, and know the doctor wants to help you, but you know what the doctor will tell you, and you just don't want to do it. Boy, that's a, that's a testimony right there about people not wanting to, to get away from the secular things. The, life is good, life is grand, I don't need anybody to tell me. One of the one of the hardest places that you can go and witness to is go knock on the door of a mansion where the door that's on the house you're knocking on costs more than the house you live in and, and, and try to tell the man that's living in that house that all your Mercedes, all your you know, 18,000 square foot home, this is all vanity. You need to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, that, was a, that was a Brad Bork guy. He, he came up and he, he talked about that. He's, He's, he uh, grew a church over in probably one of the ritziest sections of Cleveland, Ohio there. Everybody over there is, you know, they, they spend a million dollars like we spend 50 cents. And he says that's a tough crowd of folks to, <laughs> to witness. Now, if you get them in your church, you only need one member to tithe and you're all set, right? But uh, anyway, they're, they're being very successful with it. God has got his hand on that and, and it's, uh, it's all good. Jesus is the perfect doctor to heal us of our sin. So now that we've read that and looked through that a little bit, we're going to start getting into some of these objections that you run across. Everybody's heard this one, right? I'm not a bad person, or I'm a good person. Boy, those things you hear people, hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to you know, go through my life the way it is. I'm, I'm pretty good. I try to you know, do things like I'm supposed to and what have. Now, these people here are the ones that see the way to heaven as a balance between good deeds and bad deeds. Now, we all know that that's wrong, right? It's not of works. There's not anything you can do. I tell people a lot of times, I say, there's not enough old ladies you can help across the street to get to heaven. They, they don't exist. It, it would be in the billions if you could. All right? Pop culture, the way we live our lives, what we see, advertisements, all that stuff, it affirms this wrong theology. I mean, that's what it, that's what it looks like. The, the good guy wins, the bad guy does this, all this other stuff and everything. But we're all in the same boat here. It's all, all of us are all uh, uh, come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What would you say to a person? What would you say to this person here? Well, you could tell them about Romans 3.23, what it just said there, right? And everything. Going through and telling them about some scripture there, many times the Holy Spirit will use the scripture to convict that person that is hanging their hat on doing good deeds. Man, it's just not the, it's not the right thing to, to do. There's just not, it, it just does not work that way. You could mention James 2.10. For whoever, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Yeah, this one little uh, Romans Road book that I've, I have shared with people before. Uh, it has a little thing in there. If you, you say to somebody, you say, you don't think you're a sinner? Let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever done this. Yeah. Have you ever done this? Yeah. Have, yeah. Okay, you're a sinner. <laughs> that's, that's what sin is. If you're doing something that's going to be displeasing to God, if you're doing something that's against the will of God or something, that's the, that's the sin. So it's very easy to point out to somebody, 
just even in a sec, if they don't believe any of this stuff, it's easy to point out to people what their, where their wronged ones are. If they let you get that far in the conversation, if you have this, uh, this sort of thing. God is perfect. There's an underlined. No sin can come into his presence. We must all, we must have all of our sins forgiven. All of us. We're all in the same boat. We're no better than those we're witnessing to. And then there was a, there's a story here about, the, about the, the, the two thieves on the crosses, right? Here a while back, we, we kind of read through and kind of looked at and recapped the thing that Alistair Begg had, had done, titled The Man in the Middle. God was up there asking, hey, how, how'd you get up here in, in heaven to the thief, right? How'd you get up here? He says, the guy on the middle cross told me I could come up here. You know, and then he starts asking me all these questions about, well, what church did he go? I didn't go to any church. I didn't do anything. I don't know anything about doctrine. I don't know anything about theology. All I know is that man on the middle cross told me that I could come with him to heaven today. And so we all know that. This, the two thieves, that, that, that thief up there, he didn't, have, he didn't have good deeds on his side of the, the balance. He didn't have his, his good deeds in line there. Jesus in the middle. One thief understands who Jesus is and the other doesn't. And we all know the rest of that story right here. Luke 23, uh, 39 through 43. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed against him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto, he, unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That criminal that Jesus just pardoned certainly didn't have good deeds on his side of the scale. It was only his faith in Jesus that got him to heaven that day. That's a great story to tell, to tell somebody. You know, I, much to my shame, I came up in... Uh, uh, the, the Catholic Church, I'd never heard any of this stuff. I had seen occasionally where people will have a cross up on a hill and there'll be two other crosses. I had no idea what those other two crosses were out there for. And, and I know if you take a drive from here out to, uh, well, let's see, maybe driving from here to St. Louis, it won't work, but certainly driving from Cleveland to St. Louis, you go past a place called Vandalia, Illinois, and there's this cross out there. Uh, that, thing, that thing's got to be 200 feet tall, you know, and it's got a big message about Jesus on it and everything, and two smaller crosses, about half that size, right next to it. I never knew what any of that, had no idea what that was. Now I know what it's all about, and I get the whole idea that one of those thieves figured it out right there. This is God. This is the guy I need to have faith in. Hey, on your on your way to heaven today, could you remember me? Yeah, you'll go with me today. Man, that's just, that's just really, really cool stuff. All right, so you're gonna have, uh, you're gonna have people that will have, will have that, uh, that objection and everything, right? So um, here's the next objection you might hear. I've done too many bad things. Well, there's no God that could ever help me. You wouldn't believe the stuff that I've done if I sat down and start telling you all about it, you know? I've done things that you couldn't even imagine. Yeah, God already knows what you've done, and he uh, is, is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and restore you to a condition where you'll have eternal salvation. 
This is the flip side of the good deeds argument. Yeah, I'm a great guy. I don't need anything. This is the other side of the thing. I've done so many bad things, there's no way that I can get into that club, right? Remember me telling you the story of Melody, uh, that when asked if she was a Christian, she says, I'm almost sure I'm not a Christian. You guys remember that story? This was this, this, was this girl that was in Tom Rainer's church. She came in there and was very motivated to learn all about the scripture. I'll just kind of retell it here real quick. And, and uh, when, when Tom asked her the question about, well, are you, a, are you a Christian? She said, I'm sure I'm not a Christian. And he was, he was pretty, uh, he wrote a couple of paragraphs there about that. He says, I was really taken aback by her answer because most people don't answer that question like that. They either say, no, I'm not, or yeah, I am, one or the other. But I'm, I'm sure that I'm not a Christian. And then it was a story about those four ladies in that church just kept loving on her and praying for her and being around her and helping her out and everything. Uh, now, you men in here might not remember that, but probably the ladies do because I said, now, ladies, you got to keep in mind that you can have a huge influence over these young girls' lives when they're coming around this church. You love on them, you care for them, and all that kind of stuff. Fellas, we have the same, we have the same thing that we can, we can do, but in a completely different way. We can have uh, you know, uh, camaraderie with somebody that comes into a church. Some guy comes into the church, and he's really fouled up, and yeah, I might not be a Christian, but I sure do want to know about this and everything. We gotta, we gotta help those people through that by loving on them and, and having compassion on them, just like the, just like the ladies in this story. Anyway, uh, the four ladies in the church wouldn't give up on this girl, and she ended up getting saved. It reminds me of this, uh, you know, the woman at the well story, right? There was, there was this. Now Jacob's well was. Th this is John four six through twenty nine. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied by his journey, sat thus at the well, and he was, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria, and we all know, she says, hey, uh, or Jesus says, hey, can you give me a drink of water here? And she says, what are you doing asking me for a drink of water? We don't have anything to do with you people and all this stuff. And, and he says, look, lady, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. And she, what are you talking about? You don't even have a bucket to get the water. So how are you going to get, now here's the kind of water I'm going to give you, woman. I'm going to give you this kind of water right here. I'm going to give you water that's going to last, and it's, you're never going to thirst again and all that. It's completely different than what you're thinking of. As a matter of fact, why don't you get your husband? I don't have a husband. Oh, yeah, I know. You're telling the truth there. The guy you're living with right now, he's not your husband. And those other five people, you know, that was a disaster. And the child, on and on and on and on. We all know that, uh, we all know that story there. But this is, did that lady have some baggage to come to Jesus? And he, he forgave her right there, right? <laughs> just, go and, just go and tell. And then she went out and started telling this story all over the place. I mean, she just, hey, come and, come and listen to this guy. He's, he told me everything that I've ever done and all this sort of thing, right? Amen. At the end of that, um, uh, you know, it goes on there for, for pretty good. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Is that the first bell or the second? That's the first, okay. All right. Uh, is this not the Christ? Yep, it is the Christ. The answer to that question is yes, it is the Christ. We can tell people the same kind of, kind of thing. There's a real, real interesting conversation I had with one of my coworkers here this week. 
And I'll tell you about this here too, because it's another one of these things how this witnessing has this ripple effect. People start telling stories. This lady went out and has, she started telling people, right? Who, who know, we'll know maybe someday when we get to heaven if we're privileged to this, but we're not sure exactly what happened with all of this stuff, all these different people. What about the five husbands? Did they get saved? What about the guy she was living with? What happened there? Did they move out and go to their separate caves or whatever they lived in back then and all this kind of stuff? But anyway, uh, Talking about obedience, and, and you, you, think about the, you think about the story of Abraham, and he's going to go sacrifice Isaac, right? And, and it was, uh, that's pretty obedient. Hey, this kid that you just had, take him up on the hill there and, and, uh, and sacrifice him. We're going to see just, I'm going to test you here a little bit or something. And uh, so the journey from where they left to where they got there was, I think the Bible says it took about three days to get there, right? It was a pretty long walk. It wasn't just, okay, we've got to get in the car and drive a half hour, and we'll take care of this, and I'll be back in time for lunch. It was a three-day, three-day long thing. So this fellow was telling me about this story. He's been trying to witness to his neighbors. One of them is just a complete atheist, doesn't want anything to do with any of this, doesn't want to hear any of it. But the wife is pretty receptive uh, to, to what's going on. And so uh, Roy was telling this story to this, to this couple and talking about uh, this, this fellow that had a dog, a dog that had been in the family for 15 years, and the dog finally came to the conclusion that the dog had to be put down. It, had to, it just had to be put to rest. It was in pain. And this guy was talking about that half-hour drive to the vet to have that done, just back and forth in his mind. Am I doing the right thing? Should I really be doing this? Could I just keep this dog around for another couple days? Should we just let the thing die naturally? Do I really want to go take him over and, and have the veterinarian put down? And in this story, he said, think about that half-hour uh, drive to go put a dog down and all the stuff that went through this man's mind and compare it to what must have been going through Abraham's mind when he was hauling his son out there to, to sacrifice him. For three days he was walking along. Well, this young lady here, she thought that was an amazing story. And then Roy says, he's heard her retell that story and talk about, now this is somebody that's not saved, talk about the Lord and talk about the, the movement in this man's life, in this girl's life here, uh, on three or four different occasions already, just since he told her the story last weekend. So folks, you tell people these stories and you don't know, you have no idea where this stuff is gonna go. It, 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 there could be all kinds of people end up getting saved. Some of them might even end up in this church because of one little conversation that you have. One little conversation, by the way, that you're responsible to have and that you're, uh, you're supposed to be doing out here, right? So anyway, um, that's it. That's all the time we have. We're just about done. Comments, questions, concerns? Well, you guys, I hope you can, I hope you can get through the next service here without too much trouble. <laughs> anyway, Father, thank you for the time that you've given us here. We'd ask that you'd be with the preacher as he brings us a message here this morning, Lord. And again, soften our hearts and our minds here. Help us to find application for these things in our life here. And with the class, Lord, I would just ask that you would, uh, you would give them some uh, liberty in what they say and do with people this week. And then, uh, Father, we'd be careful to give you the thanks and the praise for all that. Amen. Incidentally, next, uh, next Saturday is Better Bridgeport Day. I think it starts at 10 o'clock in the morning. It'd be really great to see you folks out here and two by two, go out and knock on some doors. Just go out and do one. If you, if you haven't ever done it, 
go out and knock on the door and see what it's like to 